Would you bow with me in a word of prayer as we ask God to tend to our time. Father, we thank you again for this privilege, opportunity to join together around your word. Nothing more meaningful, nothing more needed, nothing more right for our life than what you say. And so, Lord, as we look at your word this morning, may that be what it does for us and to us as we gain further understanding of who you are, gain further understanding of what you deserve, and that our lives would be changed by it as we put what we know to be true and right into practice, that others might see our Savior, Jesus Christ, in us and might be turned from their sin and the inevitable judgment to come when they face you as the Creator God. We ask this blessing upon our lives through your great mercy because of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'll ask you to take your Bibles with me and turn in them to our study of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. It is a blessing for us to be back again this morning in Luke chapter 1 as we look particularly to our time here in a few moments around the communion table. Every time communion comes around, I oftentimes wonder, you know, what it is that we ought to be saying to us as a church and over the years, you've probably noticed that I don't vary much from the things that we are studying because providentially God puts us in places by His own hand that lend to what communion is all about. And we see that this morning in our text because this is a celebration of Jesus Christ. It's what communion is. It is a a celebration of all that He has accomplished for those who believe upon Him. And Luke, of course, as we have learned, he is writing specifically, as we saw in the early verses of chapter 1, he is writing to a young friend or a companion of his named Theophilus. Theophilus. And he's writing to him in order to he might be assured of all that he had been taught concerning the gospel, concerning the truth of Jesus Christ, concerning how it is that someone in their life could be in fact right with God. The Bible tells us clearly that all humanity knows in their heart their position before God. They know that God is the Creator God. These invisible attributes have been clearly seen through what He has made, even though mankind denies that. It is still there. It is still true. It is still right. So every man knows his condition. Every man knows inherently in himself, in his conscience, just who he is before God, and that he needs a Savior. Well, Theophilus was no different than that. He had grown up in a home whereby he was taught about the gospel. He was taught the good news, which tells him that Jesus Christ 
is God and that salvation comes by faith in Him. And so Luke begins to recount for us all the history of that and the coming of Jesus Christ. And you remember that he began with the miraculous intervention of God into the lives of two people who were well beyond childbearing years. They were old people, to say it in our vernacular. And yet, God had told them by his messenger, the angel Gabriel, the one who, as Gabriel said, stands in the presence of God, He had told them that they were going to actually have a son. They had no children. Elizabeth had been barren all of her life. They wanted children badly. They had never been able to have children. It was a a scarlet letter, if you will, on on the back of a woman if she could not bear children in the ancient times. And yet here was the angel Gabriel telling them that they would actually have a son, and miraculously he would be, in fact, the forerunner to the coming Messiah. For all intents and purposes, it was logically impossible. It was humanly impossible from any human explanation that these two, these two older people would have a child. Some commentators say they might even have been close to their 80s octogenarians having a baby. Some of you women cringe at the thought of that. I can only imagine. Some time ago I had a kidney stone and they said the pain of a kidney stone is worse than labor. Well, if you women go through that to have a child, I don't know why you ever have a child. It was excruciating. But that's exactly what happened. They We're with child. Why? Because, as we have been saying all along in our study, unless God works, nothing happens. Unless God does something, nothing ever happens. And so Luke tells us about this miracle that takes place with these two people. And then Luke continues to tell us, as he's telling Theophilus, about this other miracle conception that took place. It was that of Jesus himself. It would come through the divine intervention and the overshadowing of God the Spirit. It wouldn't come through natural means like Elizabeth and Zacharias's child would come, whereby a man and a woman come together, and through the seed of a man and the egg that's in a woman, that they would have a child. This would come a whole different way. It would be by the overshadowing of God the Spirit. And this virgin girl would become pregnant with the holy offspring. What it says to us in verse 35 The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Just like Zacharias and Elizabeth, all of this, of course, was too much for any human heart to believe. It was too miraculous. It was well beyond any human understanding. In fact, Without the intervention of God in the heart of any man, no one would ever believe the impossible. Why? Because all of this is a matter of faith. 
All of this is a matter of faith. We read last Lord's Day from Hebrews chapter 11, and we saw right out of the gate that we believe the worlds were made from nothing by faith. All of this is no different. It is all a matter of faith. That it would all be impossible. It would all be beyond belief. It would all be something that could not even be comprehended to be believed if it was not a matter of faith. And that's why the angel tells Mary in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God unless the sovereign hand of God is at work. Everything is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. All of this would be impossible if God were not the one acting. If the sovereignty of God were not in motion. If He were not the one operating and accomplishing all that is to take place. And again, we are reminded that unless God acts, nothing happens. And so Mary believes what is said to her. And she immediately goes to the home to see her cousin Elizabeth. And through the encounter, her and Elizabeth's faith is strengthened. That's where we left off last Lord's Day in this narrative that Luke is laying out for us. We left off there and we were being reminded that, number one, communion with other believers strengthens true faith. Communion with other believers strengthens true faith. In other words, Elizabeth was a gracious confirmation from God for Mary. Both of them had been given incredible information. We're not sure exactly how Elizabeth would have heard from Zacharias about what had taken place with him in the temple months before, whether he was able to even write all of that down so that she had a full comprehension of what would take place. But she surely knew that what something was going to take place because now here she is pregnant. So Mary would have been a, or a confirmation to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was a gracious confirmation to Mary. Because in Elizabeth, Mary saw what God said actually coming to pass. Because God had told Mary through Gabriel, listen, your cousin Elizabeth is now in her sixth month. She's also going to have a baby. Mary knew she had never had children. She knew that she was barren all of her life. And so that was shocking enough. Your cousin is pregnant. What? I've never heard that. This was the ancient Twitter feed from God to Mary. And so Mary hurries her way to Elizabeth's house. And God, through Elizabeth, gives Mary a gracious confirmation that what he says does actually come to pass. And we noted while we were thinking about that, that that is exactly what God does with us when we believe. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, what does He do? He confirms to us that faith in what He has said is actually true as you and I interact with other believers who have believed upon Jesus Christ and they begin to share their stories with us and we share our stories with them and we realize God does change people. 
And so we should always consider communion with other believers as a gift of God's grace. Some of us, sadly, have not thought of communion with other believers in that way. Sadly, over the decades, maybe even just over a few years that we have been saved, we have thought of communion with other believers as something that we can, in fact, not take for granted that we ought to just schedule it in whenever it's convenient. It becomes an activity of convenience, an activity that we schedule into our lives because simply, if I have time, then I'll go. Yet we realize through Mary's encouragement and Elizabeth's encouragement to Mary that we ought to always consider communion with other believers as a gift of God's grace just to strengthen our faith. I remember several years ago when I was still in seminary, I had a young colleague there in school with me, and he was a young married man, had no children, and we were both busy with school activities and all kinds of things. He had nothing else to do but schoolwork. His wife was working so that he could spend time in seminary, and every Sunday we would come to church, and I'd see him in the morning, and I would never see him in the evening service. And I began to wonder about that, and I began to challenge him as to why he wasn't there in the evening service. And he began to say to me, well, you know, I'm really busy. I got schoolwork due coming up and all of these other kinds of responsibilities upon me with schoolwork and all this stuff. And besides that, he said, I don't really do anything for the church by way of ministry in the evening anyway. I said, oh, really? You don't do anything? I said, how do you know how God's going to use you in the ministry of somebody else's life? Since when do you get to choose how God uses you and you get to make it a matter of your convenience to be used by God to encourage someone else's faith? He said, well, I don't do anything. I said, yes, but you don't know who sees you. You don't know who it is that looks to you and sees you from across the sanctuary, which was a huge sanctuary where the church we were going, You don't know if they see you and just realize, you know what? I'm glad to see them here. They have encouraged my heart just by seeing them here. You don't know that. He said, well, I've never thought of it like that. I said, that's obvious. You know me, I I don't like to mince words. So it's obvious. Sadly, he never came. He never came. We shouldn't act like that. We should not be like that. When the people of God gather, it ought to be our priority to be with them, to both encourage others and to be encouraged by others. The second thing we saw was that Christian faith acknowledges the Lordship of Christ. Theophilus, understand this, Christian faith, those who are truly believers in Jesus Christ, acknowledge the Lordship of Christ, and we saw that in what Elizabeth says. Remember beginning in verse 41, and it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she began to cry out. She cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of the greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in the womb for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what had been spoken to her 
by, again, the Lord. Remember, at that moment in this scenario, Elizabeth knew nothing of what had happened to Mary. She knew nothing of the story of what was going on to Mary. For all she knew, Mary was there just to see her until they greeted one another until they shared their collective stories with one another, and Mary understood in some ways already what had taken place with Elizabeth. She saw Elizabeth showing to be with child, and Mary begins to share her story with Elizabeth, and they are both encouraged. And Elizabeth calls her the mother of my Lord. When Elizabeth spoke those words, it was a clear declaration A declaration that the child in the womb of Mary was none other than the long-awaited Messiah. This is God's declaration through the unborn child in Elizabeth's womb as he leaps for joy through the words of his mother Elizabeth to all of us and to Theophilus. Listen, this one who is to be born through Mary is God Himself. He is Lord Mary was carrying the Lamb of God, the Lord of glory. And so this was another wonderful example of faith. Another wonderful example of acknowledgement of the Christ who is Lord. And the third implication that we drew from this text last time was the blessing of faith. The blessing of faith. Elizabeth pronounces that several times. Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She doesn't use the word blessed in the next sentence, but you can, you can understand the reality of her sensing the blessing that she was receiving. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment. Mary is blessed because she has been chosen to be the vehicle through which the incarnation would happen. Of course, the child is blessed because of who he is. He is God incarnate in the flesh, come to man. And Elizabeth is blessed because she's in the presence of God and she knew it. This is my Lord that you're carrying. And yet, blessed is everyone who believes what is spoken by God. That's the implications really of verse 45. Blessed is she who believed and there would be that there would be a fulfillment. In other words, blessing comes through faith, just as faith is a blessing. Blessing comes through faith, just as faith is a blessing. Blessed is the one who believes. That is simply to say that anyone who believes that God fulfills His promises is going to be blessed. Anyone who believes that God will carry out exactly what He says He will do is going to be blessed. And so Mary, again, is a great example to us of faith. Faith in what God said. She was blessed not simply because of what God did to her physically, but she was blessed because of faith. She's blessed in her belief. She believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God said. And since she believed it, she followed it. She went to see Elizabeth where her faith was strengthened. 
And so Mary sets a great example for us when God, that when God speaks, we listen. When God spoke to Mary through the angel, she listened, and she believed, and she obeyed. There is no genuine belief without obedience. It's only words. It's only acquiescence to whatever facts you might think you believe, but if you do not act upon them, you really do not believe them. That was really the whole study through the Gospel of John, that belief shows itself in action. Mary believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God said. And this leads us then to the fourth implication that I want to point out to us this morning. The fourth implication. True believers instinctively worship. True believers instinctively worship. Notice what Mary says, verse 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is all about worship. This is about worship. By the way, worship has been so confused in the evangelical church over the centuries, particularly confused in our modern day. In fact, I wonder, I was thinking about this, if I were to ask you to describe what worship is, what would you say? How would you answer that question? What is worship? Some of you might answer like many would answer. Well, worship is when we sing. Worship is when we sing. Or worship is when we gather for some kind of event in which we collectively, as a group, show our praise to God. You might answer in a similar fashion to that. Those certainly are avenues of worship. But I think we would do our understanding a disservice if we only thought of worship in that way. We only thought of worship as as a a sound of praise to God or or a singing to God. Why do I say that? Because worship as a whole is a whole lot more than that because worship at its greatest point is simply a highlighting of God. A highlighting of God. Notice that Luke here recounts to us that Mary said, verse 46, and Mary said. Now that simply tells us that worship, true worship, involves words. 
words and involves a speaking about God, a, a, as we might say, a praising of God. It involves words. Mary speaks all kinds of words after that very simple statement. She said, my soul exalts in the Lord. So right here, we have a succinct definition of worship. Right here, just in these very short words, we have this definition of worship. Worship is the exaltation of the object being worshipped. Let me say that again. Worship is the exaltation or the highlighting of the object being worshipped. Now, we see all kinds of things being highlighted and worshipped today, don't we? Our world is in a terrestrial conflict over what is to be worshipped more. Whatever is to be highlighted the greatest in the minds and hearts of men. And yet here we are told that we are to worship. The object of any true worship is The Lord, my soul, exalts the Lord. Exalt simply means to magnify, to magnify. Now, what happens when something is magnified? When something is magnified, it is... It seems bigger, right? It shows itself to be bigger than than what it might be in actuality. In other words, if you have a splinter in your finger and you have a hard time getting that splinter out of your finger, you might reach for a magnifying glass in order to make it larger. It it looks larger than what it is. You magnify the splinter. You make it bigger. You bring it closer to you so that you cannot so that you can recognize what you cannot recognize naturally. It's one of my favorite features on the iPhone, the magnifier. My eyes are growing weary every day. And so I magnify stuff so I can see it clearly. I like that. Makes it big. Well, that's the idea here in the words of Mary. Mary is magnifying the Lord and therefore joyously praising Him as her Savior. That's what she says. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So there she is praising God for being her Lord. She is magnifying Him as who He is. He is Lord, and she is praising Him for saving her. Now isn't that somewhat oxymoronic to what is taught in the Catholic Church? They teach that Mary is a co-savior to Jesus. That you cannot be saved unless Mary tells her son to go ahead and do that. She's the co-redemptrix. That's the official title for it. But that's not what Mary herself says. Mary herself says, listen, I exalt in God my Savior. Mary needed saving Mary doesn't do saving. These are Mary's words. That tells us where worship begins. Right? Worship is words. Words about God. And it begins with acknowledging 
God as Savior. God is Savior. This is why our world wants to get rid of God. Because the world thinks it can save itself. Mankind, even in our illustrious country that we live in, thinks that they can save themselves. That's why they worship everything that seemingly is bringing them salvation. Mary says, no, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. There is only one Savior. There is only one God. He is the Lord. He is the same one that Elizabeth says is in the womb of Mary, Jesus Christ. Now, now remember, remember the state from which Mary comes. Right? She has just in the past few days heard very difficult to believe information. Very difficult to believe. And God, by means of His handiwork, strengthens her faith, providentially having her go to see her cousin. Right? She's not told to go to her cousin. She's not commanded by God. Now listen, I want you to go up there because I know you're going to have a hard time believing me, but you need to go there because that's really going to help your faith. No. Providentially, in her own heart and her own conscience, as God has, has riveted her with this information, she just goes. She goes, i got to see this. i got to see what's happened. And so God is working providentially in the circumstances of her life, and her faith is strengthened, both hers and Elizabeth's, and Mary spontaneously and instinctively begins to worship God for her salvation. This is what happens with the Christian. The Bible tells us that out of the heart the mouth speaks. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus is using that statement in a, in a pointed, judgmental way, talking to the Pharisees, because they're speaking blasphemous stuff. And he says, out of the heart the mouth speaks. Listen, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. That's the idea. Out of the heart the mouth speaks. This is Mary filled with truth. She is filled with the truth of God. And if you notice as you read through this, it is filled with the scriptures of the Psalms and the Old Testament. Why? Because Mary is filled with the truth about God. She, being a Jew, knew what the Old Testament said about God. She knew that God was indeed a Savior, and therefore she worships God by proclaiming, by magnifying, by exalting Him for the very character and nature for who He is. He is, by His very nature and by His character, a Savior. Again, that simply says that Mary knew the Old Testament. She knew what it had declared about God. She was familiar with what she had been taught. And the heart of any true believer, saturated in the Word of God, begins to proclaim in the praise of God. This is why it is so important for us, beloved, to constantly be saturated in the Word of God. You must know God if you are to worship God as God deserves. And I believe we have to take note of this about worship. 
Because true worship, listen, true worship is not about us. We can worship with all the exuberance in the world. We can have all the excitement around. We can do all of the things that seem to stir the emotions and yet it not be worship at all. Worship is not about us. Worship is about God. Far too often today, worship is about performance. It is about showiness. What is professed and what is proclaimed as worship in evangelicalism today and over really a short history in the United States and really throughout the Western world is this foolishness called worship. It is not about stage lights. Worship is not about big musical groups and large crowds and how much you can gain. No, worship is all about highlighting God. It's all about His character and to do what you must do for God. You must know God. And we know God through His Word. That's where worship begins, in His Word. Let me just show you this really quickly. Turn for a moment over to Psalm 96. Psalm 96. Notice notice how the psalmist declares. Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. So there you got this, these words being used, these words even through song being used to proclaim the salvation of God. Tell, he says, verse 3, of his glory among the nations. So again, words being used. We're exalting the very nature and character, the glory, the essence of God. What makes God who he is, his very essence on display. Tell of that among the nations. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Why? Because great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. That's assuming right there that the world has all kinds of gods it worships. And yet the only one to be worshipped is the true and living God. This is what the God, our God, warned Israel about all throughout the Old Testament. Be careful because you are to worship the Lord your God and Him only, He said. Be careful when you get around these other nations, when you get around these other people, because they will draw your heart away from worshiping me, and you will worship, you will go after other gods, and you see that in the history of nation of Israel, in the history of the world, in every nation. Great is the Lord. He is greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Why? Because all the gods of the peoples are just idols. That's not our Lord. Our Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. So, ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, the glory of His name. 
bring an offering and come to His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire and tremble before Him all the earth. Say, among the nations, the Lord reigns. You see, words words are spoken, words are sung. The words about God, the words of God, it is God throughout. He is saturating it all. Worship is all about God. It is not about us. That's what Mary's doing. That's what Mary's doing. She's magnifying God for what He has done and for who He is. And so she goes on. Here's what he has done. First, he has bestowed blessing upon an unworthy sinner. Notice verse 48. For he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. That's just Mary's recognition of who she really is. Out of her heart flows worship of God because he has regard for. Some of your translations might say looked upon looked upon. In other words, what energized Mary's worship, what was the flood zone that was filling her heart to burst forth in all of this praise was the amazing reality, as it ought to be for each one of us, the amazing, incredible reality that God would show her favor. That God, who is holy, The Holy One, she says, the God who is holy would have any regard for me at all. That's how we ought to think. Because we, like her, are unworthy, sinfully guilty slaves. This is what blew Mary's mind. He has regard for me? God, the maker of the universe, the one that Psalm 96 says ascribed to him that that he has made the heavens and the earth, that one, the holy one, he would have regard for me. He would look upon me at all, this unworthy, sinfully guilty sinner. Mary says, "I I don't deserve that favor. We don't deserve God's favor. We don't deserve God's kindness. We don't deserve any bit of God's love, and yet through Christ we have been made heirs with Christ. Unfathomable. Absolutely uncomprehensive. Totally blows our mind. So Mary says in verse 48, For behold, from this time on, All generations will call me blessed. Listen, she's not simply saying that she is blessed because she has been chosen by God to birth the Messiah. No. What Mary is praising God for is that she is blessed because she has been chosen to be saved. She's of the blessed generations to come. She's of the company of the blessed I know Neil taught this this morning, but I think it's a good reminder of uh, for us, Philippians or Ephesians chapter one. This is the character and nature of those who are believers. Ephesians chapter one, beginning in verse three: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who what? Who has blessed us? Every believer is blessed. 
Throughout every generation, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him. He predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of His glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed upon us in Christ. We have redemption through the blood of Christ. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses through the blood of Christ, according to the riches of God's grace. And he's made known to us the mystery of his will. All right, we have obtained an inheritance, verse 11, having been predestined according to the purpose of his works, where he works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we were the first to hope in Christ, we should be to the praise of his glory. We have been so blessed in Christ. That's what Mary's saying. I'm of the company of the blessed. What caused Mary to praise God with such exuberance? What caused Mary to, to shine forth this exaltation about God? It was the fact that she understood her unworthiness. Mary understood her sinfulness. She understood that she had no right to be looked upon by a holy God. And what made her mind magnify God all the more was just that fact that he would look upon her humble state, her unworthiness, and show saving kindness to her. I think sometimes the reason we forget about worship and don't think about it the way we ought is because we've forgotten exactly what God saved us from. Which goes back to what I said last Sunday evening when we just started Galatians. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Not so that we get saved again, but so that we remember just what God has done for us. That's what caused Mary to praise. And so worship flows from a heart that knows God. Worship flows from a heart that understands its unworthiness of God's saving favor upon the life. Which thirdly launches Mary into worship for His mercy. His mercy. Notice verse 49 and 50. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is His name. I don't believe Mary's thinking about her pregnancy there at all. I think she's praising God that he would have any kind of saving favor upon her. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. That, that's just incredible to me. She's saying, and holy is him. He is holy and he's regarded me. And notice verse 50, his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. God had done many great things for Mary. He had sent Gabriel to her with that incredible message. She'd been told about her cousin Elizabeth and what God had said to her and what was happening with her. Only God could accomplish those kind of impossible things. He alone is the mighty one. He alone is the holy one. And therefore, we too know that all He does for us is born from a heart of mercy. This is mercy. That's how Mary sees it. It's all mercy. 
This is just a, an, an act of the mercy of God. His mercy is upon generation after generation. She deceives herself in the perpetual flow of generation after generation after generation that are receiving the mercy of God. Do you realize God even has a sense of mercy on the unsaved? He feeds them. He allows them to continue to breathe His air. That's mercy. His mercy is not just upon me, she says, it's upon every generation because of the gift of the Messiah. In other words, all of God's mercy in past generations has led up to this very mercy that is the coming of Jesus Christ. And all of God's mercy that comes in the future flows from the mercy that is in Christ. Do you understand that? It all points to Christ. It all points to the fruition of the incarnation of Jesus Christ coming through Mary, which is the mercy of God being shown to men. All from the past look to that, and all from the future look back at it. It's all about Christ. Mercy of God on display. Who who, who receives the full force of God's mercy? Verse 50 says it's toward those who fear Him. For those who fear God, that's just another way of saying all the saved, all those who are saved, all who believe, all whose hearts are filled with the reverence for the person and will of God. So Mary is worshiping God. Not only because of his own her, her own personal experience of salvation, but also for all that He would do to save others in the future. Mary is praising God that God is a saving God and that He has showed favor to her and He will show favor to others in the future toward those who fear Him. Mary is praising God for who He is. And finally, finally, This leads us to that, to the last reality. Worship is filled with praise for God's faithfulness. Praise for God's faithfulness. Notice this staccato laying out of the very character and nature of God and what He's done. Verse 51 and following, He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring. Forever. God has done mighty deeds. He has scattered. He has brought down. He has exalted. He has filled and sent away. He has given help. All of these verbs speak about the very nature and character of God to do what God is doing. I always think it's interesting that when it says He's scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart, none of us know another human being who is proud unless it's expressed before us, and yet God sees the heart and knows exactly who's proud. There's a repetition taking place here. You notice it's all about God. He has, He has, He has, He has. 
That is simply to say that God is faithful. God does what he says. God fulfills the very reality of who he is. He is reliable. He does what he says and he always fulfills his words. Aren't you thankful that Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will complete it? Oh, I'm so glad of that. So glad of that. So she's worshiping God for what he's doing in her life. She's worshiping God for what he will do in the lives of future generations who will fear him. And she worships God for what he has already done through his faithfulness. So what is worship? What is worship? Well, in a nutshell, it's highlighting God. It's highlighting God. It's taking the spotlight off of us. It's highlighting God for who He is and for what He's done. We do that as we pray. Or we should be doing that as we pray. Far too often we pray about us rather than pray about Him and who He is. We do that when we read His Word. We are highlighting God. We do that when we hear His Word taught. We ought to be doing that when we sing. We ought to be highlighting God. We should not just be playing one chorus a thousand times in hopes to wear people down so that they might come forward and do something that they don't want to do anyway. We do that when we interact with each other corporately and individually. We worship God. We highlight God. Look what God has done. We know that God has exercised his mighty arm in overthrowing the proud. Each one of us was prideful. Each one of us wouldn't come to God unless God moved. He overthrew us. We know that God has filled the hungry with food and good things. Just look at your own life. God has lavished upon you richly beyond you could, what you could ask or think. We know that He has exalted those who are humble, that He brings down the proud. We know that He has given help to Israel. God overturns the fallen natural way of things. God overturns the fallen natural way of things. You see, all of the most powerful, all of the richest, all of the high-minded intellectuals cannot stand against the mighty hand of God. We are living in Romans 1 days, folks. Although they profess to be wise, they are fools. And while God is the Creator and they ought to worship Him, they know they ought to worship Him, they worship the creature instead. We are living... In a vivid reality of those days, God has allowed man to himself. But there will come a day when God will tear them down. He will give mercy to the humble, to the lowly, to the hungry, to the outcast, to the unworthy sinners, both Jews and Gentiles. All of this he does, why? In remembrance of his mercy, verse 54 says. In remembrance of his mercy. 
He does it in remembrance of His mercy. He is merciful to sinners. He is merciful to those to those who will acknowledge the reality of what they are. They are sinners. And all of this He does in remembrance of His mercy. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 24? I am a wretched man. Oh, what a wretched man I am. But thanks be to Jesus Christ who delivered me. See, that's exactly what we see on display through Jesus Christ and the remembrance of communion. God's mercy is mercy. We are worshiping Jesus Christ for who he is and for what he has done. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. God showing mercy, not just to Mary, but mercy to all generations that come after her. Why? Because Jesus is Savior. He is Savior whether you believe that or not. He is Savior but he is particularly savior to all who will believe in every generation as God places their sin upon the lives of his son. So Mary's just one of us. She's one of us. She's a worshiper. She gives us an example of how we ought to worship. She heard God's word. She believed God's word. She obeyed God's word, and in response, she worshiped God. She worshiped. That's how our lives are to be as believers. Because with God, nothing is impossible. You know what, beloved? Real worship starts with what God has done in your life. That's where it starts. What God has done in your life. If you're not worshiping God, maybe you need to go back and revisit what God has done in your life and be thankful again to Him for saving you. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful in our hearts to be challenged on how to worship you. Mankind is so confused. We see even in evangelicalism, those who call themselves Christians and worship themselves. You are words only. You're the backdrop. You're the scenery around the edges, but you're not the main issue. It's all about the development of the show and the entertainment and the conjuring up of emotion. And yet we see in the heart of Mary, none of that. None of that, even in this isolated moment when she's just with Elizabeth. Only Elizabeth heard these words. Zacharias couldn't hear. There's Elizabeth hearing Mary speak about her Savior in worship. Oh, that must have strengthened Elizabeth's heart. You can only imagine the day that 
John the Baptist is born. Eight days later, Zacharias begins to speak. We'll see his words of praise to you. Only imagine that first night conversation between he and Elizabeth, his wife, and all that took place. What a praise to you it would have been. Lord, may that be our heart. May our hearts be prepared even now as we worship you in this moment of communion around the great sacrifice you made for us. Bless this time, we pray, in your holy, sovereign, powerful, mighty name. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen.